0: Welcome to the Show Me Literacies podcast with Dr. Shay Kirchhoff and Dr. Cassandra Walker-Suggs.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Show Me Literacies podcast podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Cassandra Suggs, and joining me today is Dr. Joy Nicole Rogers. She is a phenomenal teacher in our area, an educator, and she just recently became a doctor as well. We'll talk about that a little bit in our program. Really happy to have you joining us today on our podcast. Dr. Rogers, thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, we appreciate it. We're going to jump right in with our questions for today. And the first one I have for you is emerging literacies.
0: What does that mean to you? So anything that's emerging, it's before it actually happens. So from birth until those pre-K years, that would be your emergent literacy, you know, milestone markers for kids. Mm-hmm. And what that means to me is exposing the children to any of those you know, precursors that they'll need when they begin their literacy journey, as far as correct letter sounds, identifying um, the phonemic and phonological awareness early on.
1: Oh, I love that. You know that i think sometimes that gets missed on parents they don't they may not understand the importance of that and that there are stages like emerging and then i guess what would really be developing what's next if it's after emerging emerging what would that be called
0: it'll definitely be developing so once you are in a classroom setting and you're learning to match the letters to the various sounds particularly like the vowels things that tend to be challenging early on, the sooner students get exposed to it, the better. Like A can make multiple sounds, the Mm -hmm. short, long, E, all of your vowel uh, teams, things like that, that makes reading complex later on. The earlier we expose our children to these concepts, the uh, more likely they'll be successful once they begin their reading journey.
1: You know what? That's a great segue to our next question, which pairs reading and writing, actually, and and talking about why is it important? Uh, And how important is it at an early age to not only have your reading foundation, but also your writing?
0: I think with us becoming much more of a technological society, it's becoming increasingly important to have students understand reading and writing as scribing, because writing your name, writing full on sentences, those things I feel have become more challenging due to Um, technology. Most students have phones, like they're not really um, relying on their mental capacity to spell things or to give the correct grammar and punctuation because devices can often do it for us. So I think it's super important for parents and educators to stress the rigor in learning how to write um, in the traditional way that we are to write, not necessarily always typing or relying on technology. Oh, that's phenomenal! I'm glad you said it that way. You are correct. I've noticed that as well. Kids
1: will text or even type in their email letters to teachers as if they were texting. Lowercase letters, no um, commas or periods or punctuation of any kind, apostrophes, and it's becoming natural. It seems like to them. How do we? How do we write that ship?
0: I think. Um just being super rigorous and holding students to high expectations, we can't lower the bar because they can do it. They can reach up to um, what is expected in scholarly and correct grammar. Like, I just feel that we have to hold the uh, bar high and make the students meet the expectations because they can do it.
1: I like that well said thank you for that. And so what, what message would you have to parents who have children that may be starting school this coming school year on how to get their kids prepared maybe they haven't done anything really with their kids they they just whether to a lot of work they have to do or they just don't know how their kids basically watch television or YouTube. How do you what message do you have to those parents to help get them to get, get their kids ready.
0: I think just returning to traditional habits, reading at least 20 minutes a night or reading to your kids before bed. If you have older children, making sure that they read every day. Um, I think we take for granted how um, impactful it can be just exposing your kids to books, not um, audio books and digital books. Those are great, but making them actually do the work and read it themselves, whether it's orally or um, reading in their heads. I think that's the. easiest way to get your kids exposed to the academic you know portal which is education which has become increasingly harder because of technology or having a strong turnoff in the evening okay no more devices or no devices between this time and this time focusing heavily just on like the reading or academic aspect especially with summer because summer learning loss is a thing
1: Absolutely. You're right about that. Summer learning loss is a thing. Thank you for that. And let me just ask you one more thing. I'll t- a dovetail on that. When it comes to teachers who have to differentiate, let's say you're talking to a new teacher and they get in there and they have reading levels from no reading whatsoever, let's say first or second grade, very low to high readers who check out books every week from the library and, and are getting through them. Is there a message you have or some tips on how teachers can differentiate?
0: Yes, you have to reach every student, so if that means three and four versions of the same reading lesson plan, you don't want to leave any students out, so I would definitely say modified. It'll become easier, so if the student facing outcome is to write 10 sentences, but that student who might be just an emergent reader, they need to write too I wouldn't let them off the hook (laughs) you still have to get into the habits but 10 that might be a little bit too ambitious or overwhelming for that student but you you have to go in with the mindset of reaching every student which I think every teacher does but what that looks like in practice is you might very well have three or four variations of one standard lesson plan
1: very good. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to move on to our next question now, which is literacy leadership. What is that to you?
0: To me, that goes beyond um, reading specialists and things like that. Any instructor instructor needs to be um, a literacy leader, meaning it is everybody's job. It takes the whole village to get students reading and um get their academics where they need to be so anybody who is an instructor a parent we all need to take part in being a literacy leader that means pushing the um agenda because it is urgent that all students become literate and proficiently literate there shouldn't be these wild ranges of lexile levels and reading levels within one classroom at the end of the year it shouldn't be as radically um polarizing as it is at the beginning of the school year. And I think it takes everybody like an all hands on deck situation.
1: I really like that. So do you mean to tell me that you've seen or heard of like a wild range of Lexile levels in classrooms? Is that somewhat common?
0: Yes, that has been my experience. I have students as a previous third grade teacher, I have students who've read well into the sixth grade level and students who are beginning readers which means their Lexile was so low that it doesn't even register um, with the SRI test but with that being said no I'm not saying that those emergent readers um will jump to five and six grade levels but they can move along they should be able to get a number recorded because we're going to be so intentional and so strategic about the urgency of getting students to um become acclimated with the material where they are learning to read so those gaps should close there should be nothing that is exactly the same at the end of the school year as it was at the beginning of the school year because everybody should have movement and growth.
1: Oh, I really like that definition, Dr. Rogers. And, you know, I've heard being in the middle school as a middle school administrator, sometimes I've heard um, teachers say, well, they're in sixth or seventh grade and they're, they're just too low. I don't know if they'll ever catch up, but I like the fact that you're saying, we're not saying they have to completely catch it to the grade level, but we should see some type of movement. We have to be able to get them to believe as well as believe ourselves. Would you say that sometimes teachers may get frustrated? And what would you say to those teachers that feel like they have a sixth or seventh grade that's reading a second or third grade level to motivate
0: them? I can definitely say that it can be frustrating from a teacher um stance because you want to do everything you can because you want your students to learn but what I would say for encouragement is it's easy to wake up and teach those kids that get it whether that's with the um academics or behavior but there's some so those kids who fit into the wheelbarrow that's fine but those who fall off keep scooping them up keep pouring into them because they matter too. And those will be the stories that you need that'll keep you going because the student who wouldn't read or couldn't read didn't think they could, but they can get even like an 89 on an SRI. That's huge for them because students only believe in themselves sometimes as much as their instructor believes in them.
1: Oh, I love that. I love the wheelbarrow analogy. Thank you for that. You know, my local library in my school, what she started doing was to get um, reluctant readers in or, or readers who struggled to library to check out books. She got some lower leg style books and then she had cut out some very old books, some old titles, and, and the pages were ripped anyway. And She t- gutted it and she stuck those um, books inside of that bound of um, hardback te- uh, textbook. So kids were reading their their more, um, maybe lower level books, but kids that were watching them read or could see them carrying a book around had no idea they were reading second and third grade books. And she said that it worked so well that those kids were devouring those books and then moving up and up and up in lifestyle because they weren't embarrassed anymore about the selections they had to choose. What do you think about that method? For
0: sure, confidence is the first thing. So as I previously stated, And most students can only believe in themselves as much as they feel like I believe in them. So giving them that confidence and have them goal set with you. Ask them where they think they can be. Make them invest in their own education. School, it can't always be super fun, but it should not always be a chore. Um, connect with them on what they like. Reading is so pivotal and so critical. What is it that they like to read about? What is it that they want to learn? You have to find a way to connect with each student. And through literacy, I think the best way is to find a common interest and then give them a book about that.
1: Thank you for that. Thank you so much. You're giving us so many gems to help our teachers. And I know those who are listening to our podcast are taking notes just feverishly trying to get everything in. Thank you so much, Dr. Rogers. And I'm to our last question. I want to say to our listeners that I had the privilege and honor of working with Dr. Rogers as my dissertation partner. Um, And so all the things you're hearing her say now is what she added and more to our dissertation. And it was phenomenal working with her. She's just a wealth of knowledge. And I want to ask her about something that's passionate and she's passionate about. And that is our dissertation topic was about culturally responsive um, reading and and, and, and excuse me, lessons and leadership. And one of the questions I wanted to ask you was culturally responsive literacy instruction. Why is that important to you? Why is that a passion to you? And what do you have to speak to about that?
0: I think that um, everything CRP, culturally relevant practices, is so important to me because I want kids that look like me to see teachers that look like them. I want them to... Um, operate from an entrepreneurial mindset rather than operating from a deficit in all things that are learning. And I believe that exposure, um, especially to people that look like them, representation matters. If you look at me, um, not super young anymore, but not super old and you feel like, oh, she's done this. Or when you see a principal that looks like you, I feel like all of that thing, all of those things are reaffirming. I feel like it gives confidence. And I really wish there were more black teachers and educators because our babies so desperately need them.
1: Agree so well said and you know, I had the same the same thought in mind when we went to, to this topic that helped the urgency of the need Now, my mom grew up in the segregated South. So she always saw black teachers because you had to, but she also talks about how much they poured into them and how much they would tell them you look like me we look like each other we're responsible for one another so I need you to work hard and I'm going to work hard, and I think we give that message too, and we give it by showing up every day for our students so thank you for that. But Dr Rogers you are very young, so I believe that you are an inspiration as well for for the younger generation generation to say they can keep going, they can achieve the doctoral status. And they won't have that opportunity if we're not in those buildings and having opportunities to teach them and work with them. So thank you so much for your work on that topic. Is there anything you want to close on for um, our listeners in regards to whether it's teaching strategies, or culturally relevant practices, or anything at all you'd like to leave them with?
0: Um, If I could leave them with anything, I would say, especially in the state of education right now, post-pandemic teaching, if we're still in the pandemic, who knows, just to keep the tenacity and remember your why. I know that this is um, very hard work, but it has to be done, and we have to be their first line of defense because education is changing, um, just remembering your why, and the work is so serious, and I appreciate every teacher who continues on in the work.
1: Agreed. Agreed, and I appreciate you too. You did bring up one point before we go about the post-pandemic or the pandemic. Do you think that we were able to pull some resources from the pandemic that we can continue to use forward? And is there anything that happened through the pandemic that you think kind of helped us or caused us to take some steps backwards as educators and as students?
0: I think um, the pandemic, if it's taught me anything, it's just um, honestly that the show must go on. I feel like a lot of things are like well uh, people are saying things like well it's going to take students x amount of time to catch up due to the pandemic I refuse to accept that I refuse to believe that because things are going to happen that are beyond our control in life I never thought I would see a global pandemic but nevertheless um, education has always been urgent we have to pick up the torch and keep running Um, we're not going to use that as an excuse for why students can't achieve
1: Agreed. Well said. We are not. We're not going to use any excuses because they can't achieve. Thank you so much, Dr. Rogers, for coming on Show Me Literacies today. It has been phenomenal talking to you, as always, a wealth of knowledge, and you're just so fluid the way you just express everything. So I appreciate you greatly for coming on today.
0: Well, thank you. I thank you for having me.
1: Well, everyone, thank you again for tuning in to Show Me Literacies. Again, I'm your host, Cassandra Suggs, and we'll see you or hear you next time.
0: Thanks for tuning in. Please join us next time on Show Me Literacies.